0: All right, you guys, turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We will sit there as we are accustomed to as our reference texts. We may be inclined to go to multiple verses to establish our, our thoughts. We are on the Pilgrim's Progress journey through the book of Romans. For those of you who have joined me, now that we are officially in the year 2024. I said to Angelo many years ago, a lot of people are very presumptuous and Christians are too. I don't want to stay long on this because we got some work to do here. But we often take the principle of faith and use it as a kind of rhetorical presumptive expression. We will actually think we have the right to speak those things into existence that don't exist as if we're God. And that's arrogant. I'm just here to let you know your Bible forbids all such thinking. Like, I mean, explicitly, Jesus said sufficient is the evil for today. And he said, give us this day our daily bread. Don't give me my bread that comes tomorrow, today, because... Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And his servant, James, made it very plain, you fool, who say today and tomorrow and the next day, we're going to do this and do that and get gain and prosper, which when we get to verses 18 through 36, the most offensive chapter in the whole Bible, we will unpack the arrogance of men thinking he can go anywhere without God. But what is worse is when Christians walk around talking about tomorrow as if tomorrow is today. And what we will often do is start celebrating January 1st, weeks before, as if you know you're going to make it. Now, a million people died on the 31st of December. You only made it by grace and you're only here by grace. Now, when your faith is properly grounded in the word of God, yes, you celebrate, yes, you have confidence in God, but mostly what lost people need are believers who have a sober faith, a biblical faith, a faith can, that can pass the test of this kind of rhetoric that, that asserts that we can speak things into existence and still God's glory. Don't do that, child of God, don't ever do that. God loves to resist the proud. And that among his own people. I might even say even more particularly among his own people. Whenever you find yourself seriously struggling with circumstances and you realize intuitively you're wrestling with God, at the root of your wrestle is your pride. You do know that the greatest exercise of God's relationship with you, with the Holy Ghost, the interpreter, the paraclete, is to humble you. You do know that. That's the goal. He must humble us before he exalts us. So you and I, when we are graced to come to Christ, we're coming to Christ on our knees and we're staying with Christ on our knees. And the best place to be in your heart is on your knees. And when you're on your knees in your heart, you'll guard your mouth from arrogant statements. Am I making some sense? I'm so glad to be here today in Jesus' name, glad to be alive, glad to be in the house of the Lord, glad to still love to worship God with his people, glad to not have fallen away, glad to not be walking in error, glad to not be trapped by my sins. Happy in Jesus' name to be in the presence of the living God. All right. The title of our message is The Apostle's Love of the Saints through the gospel. The apostles love of the saints through the gospel. I know that came out of uh, thin air, but it's really not. We are doing what are called biblical expository lessons. What that means is we're not doing topical sermons. Although I deal with real world issues in the context, it means we start with the Bible. We work through the Bible and we finish with the Bible. That's the kind of preaching you get here. Does that make sense? Like, and if you're bored with the Bible, you can, you know, you can get on up and roll on out. But the Bible is a light for us. It's a lamp. Right. And the the Bible is the word of the living God. And God's word is right and all of his works are done in truth. And every other human being and angel by nature is a liar. That means you and I are given to lies. We're given to failure. We're given to error. We're given to falsehood. Are we not? And we need God to keep us. And you know what he uses to keep us? The word of the living God. You know, so from Sunday to Sunday, you have to be corrected. Did you know that? And when you come to worship, God gives you course correction. By the time you leave these doors, if God speaks to you through this word by me, you get some adjustment in your thinking, do you not? And it's extremely important to know. And and, and this this experience is really a consequence of a multi-relational endeavor. We call it collaboration. God always uses his people to speak to his people. You guys do know that. And so it's ipso facto that if you're going to hear from God, you're going to hear from God through his angels, yes. terrestrial and celestial. I'll get into that more deeply when we deal with that rough territory, of verses 18 through 26. But all of us are called to be servants and messengers of God to share God's word with the world, are we not? Well, the Apostle Paul is one of God's most beloved servants. And what we will be extracting from the text are three major points with a whole lot of subcategories around the Apostle's love of the saints through the gospel. This is where we're picking up in our text. Now, where we left off last time, I want to reiterate, is the Apostle establishing the fact that the gospel is not a thing without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for those of you who are new in the faith and you really want to know how to have a hierarchy of your understanding, your understanding of the reason why you and I have been brought into what is called in our Pilgrim's Progress journey, the celebratory summons, the celebratory summons. When God calls you by the gospel, that's a celebratory summons. That's not an invitation. That's a celebratory summons. God gives you a protocol that says the king is calling you. Y'all understand that? Some of y'all criminals like me, you know what an indictment is, right? <laughs> you, some of y'all know those certified articles that come to the door that says you got to come to the courtroom on such and such date. That is the gospel. The gospel is calling all the human beings to come to God now or come to God later. And when you come to God now, you got to come on your knees. Because what the summons says is that we're sinners. And that means God has a problem with us. But the summons also says God has a solution to that, that problem. If you come and reason together with him, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. I think that's a great conversation, don't you? So God is subpoenaing some of you right now. The subpoena has come. It's a celebratory summons. And guess what? No other servant like the Apostle Paul loved to be in the dignified position of handing out celebratory su- summons. This is what he's saying here in our text. He's saying, based upon the resurrection of Christ from the dead, look at verse 5. Because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his namesake. Do you see that? He's saying here, saints, because Christ rose, we now get to go. Because he rose again from the dead, all of God's ambassadors have been sent into the world to summons men and women to celebrate with God of the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Paul loved it. Did he not? We're going to drill into that a little bit today. But if you wanted to take an inference of application, you can say this as our first point we will assert. Did God call you? Did he call you by the gospel to join him in the celebration of the resurrection of his son? If you're a child of God, most certainly he did. Most certainly God hunted you down in the preaching of the gospel, no matter where you were by the Holy Ghost and tapped you on the shoulders and said, come and rejoice with me. Your sins are forgiven. God hunted you down as he did. Point number one, the proclamation of the risen Christ to his what? That's right. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. His message is not indiscriminate. It comes to his sheep. Did y'all get that? That's the gospel of John chapter 10, three and four. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I know them by name. That's particular, isn't it? This is why in your early days in walk when God started messing with you, because if he didn't mess with you, you'd end up in hell when God started messing with you, you looked around and you had a few friends who were named obstinate and a few friends who were named pliable. And then you had others like mistrust and lazy and scandalous of which you were all of that. But God distinguished you in that noise like he did the apostle Paul when the brothers were riding with him and they heard a voice, but they couldn't comprehend it. But Paul heard the voice clearly because Jesus was his shepherd and Paul, was his sheep, and that was a distinguishing moment. It happens to all the people of God. A distinguishing moment. Now we want everybody in the world to come with us, don't we, Melody? Will y'all all come? But by and by, as we're making our journey, one by one, one by one, fall off. They got excuses, they excuses, they got reasons, they got arguments. Half of them are with you, half of them are with God, half of them are with the world. Do you understand, child of God, complaining won't get you anywhere. You need to go to the mighty counselor to get the answer to the problem you're in. Then, when a child of God is going to make his progress down the pilgrim road, it's going to be because that child of God learns how to listen to his shepherd. My sheep what? Follow. That's a path. That's a journey. That's a movement. That's a progression. You and I are called somewhere. We're called by somebody. That's what the three sub points are asserting. Look at what it says under subpoint A. We are sent by the what? Please understand the correlation. And many of you do. You guys are, are very clear uh, about what we call union with Jesus. You're clear. These, these are axioms for you new baby Christians. You want to get the gospel right. Please understand. God didn't call you to operate as a solo independent operator. He didn't call you to be a sole proprietor. When he called you into his institution, into his franchise, into his business, he called you to be a partner with him. And he's the CEO. He's the one running this thing. And you and I won't do anything for God if God doesn't work in us first to get it done. So the doctrine of union is this. You and I were placed in Christ before the world began. That's the doctrine of election. And in time, God called you by the gospel, and Christ was placed in you. That's the doctrine of regeneration. This is what we are learning in the Pilgrim's Progress. Did y'all get that? When the Holy Ghost came to you, he brought Jesus and planted him in your heart. And now, all of a sudden, approximately, Jesus is way more important to you than he could have ever been if he hadn't come to you in the gospel. Now, the difference between many people And others is that Jesus is merely a notion in the mind of a lot of people, but for some of us, he is the God on the throne of our heart. And the Bible tells me that's exactly what happens when the gospel is preached. Christ abides in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory what makes you all that you are as a Christian is because Christ is in you. Do you understand the inference of the term Christian? Christian. It means to be in Christ and Christ to be in you. And now Christ is expressing himself through you. And what he said in John chapter 20, verse 21 is clear. As the father hath sent me, so send I you. Is that what it says? So follow this now. All you and I are doing is being an extension of the son of God when he came the first time. It's extremely important for you to know that when I get into kind of the psychoanalysis of the weaknesses and errors of the Christian, I fundamentally tell you almost all of your problems exist when in your mind you inadvertently forget that you and Christ are one. I often say in counsel, if you're worried about your struggles and the difficulties that are going on, and you know half the battle, more than half the battle is in our mind. You know that. And as a Christian, what you end up doing is forgetting that Jesus is right there for you to talk to and engage and affirm and indeed request that he help you do everything that you do. But if you can find yourself going a whole 24 hours making all kinds of decisions in your life, without deferring to the one that's on the throne of your heart, then you are operating as a solo independent operator. You are operating as a sole proprietor. And may I tell you what Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So half the time the Christian is operating without the power of God because he's neglecting the one that loves him more than he loves himself. Y'all keeping up with me. Right. It's important for you to learn how to be sound in your mind. That's what the Bible is clear about. This is what we learned on Christmas Day. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So a really big message to take away while you're offended at what I'm saying now is, as a Christian, I should be much more conscious of the ever abiding presence of Christ in my life. And we should be going down this road together, me talking with him, him talking back to me and us engaging the pilgrim's progress together. Because again, without me, you can do nothing. So the apostle Paul says the proclamation of the risen Christ to his elect is that we are sent by the sent one. We're called to engage in this. Look with me at verse um, verse number six in your, uh, in your text among whom uh, in your Bible, among whom, sorry, look at verse five, by whom we have apostleship, have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the what? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his namesake. So look at verse five again. What Paul just said is our job is to communicate to all the nations of the world. This truth It's put in a language that really has to do with a summons among the nations for the obedience of what? Faith. That's the summons. So human beings are summoned by the gospel to obey the Lord in the context of faith. In other words, faith is not merely an assertion of agreement, Faith is the acquiescence to the claims of the summons that Jesus is indeed Lord. And if he's Lord, as he said in Luke chapter six, if I be Lord, why then don't you obey me? So when the summons of the gospel comes, and this is the offense of the gospel, this is how you know you're not preaching it when you share it with people. Because when people really get a very clear understanding of what you're saying, what you're saying to people is, hey, Jesus is Lord. That means you owe him obedience. See, that's really what you're saying. And until people are offended at the implication that God just summons me through what you said, you mean if I don't obey this summons, I'm guilty of an additional crime? Yes. You're guilty of the additional crime of first having not known that Jesus died and rose again and he's Lord of all. But then once you have heard the euangelion and you reject its implications because its implications is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The implications are believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Isn't that the implication? The implication is the good news is somebody else, has obtained eternal redemption for us. And the good news is eternal redemption can be yours when you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, when you submit to the crown rights of his glory. See, that is a summons. That's not an invitation. This is why in certain countries it's against the law to even preach the gospel. Did y'all hear what I just stated? Because they understand the nature of what I'm going to be preaching at the end of this message. When you actually share the gospel with anyone on the planet, you are actually bringing the reality of the God of the universe into the conversation to let them know there is no greater authority, no greater monarch, no greater ruler that you should submit to but God. That kind of language is subversive to nations who have Lilliputian rulers and Lilliputian kings and Lilliputian governors who feel like they have a right to tell you what to do and how to live. They know if you ever should really become born again, no one sits on the throne of your heart, but God in the person of Jesus. And he tells you what to do. This is what the book of Acts is all about. The kingdom of God invading the kingdoms of this world and snatching sinners up out of the dominion of darkness, bringing them into the dominion of light. Am I making sense? Right now, all of a sudden you're on another team. And because you're on another team, the world now looks at you cross-eyed, including your government. And what I am loving about where I'm going in our text is a man named the Apostle Paul used to be on the other team. He used to be on that false Zionist team where they were destroying anybody that did not bow down to Torah. He was working for the wrong high priest until the true high priest came and hunted him down and knocked him down off of his high horse and showed him his glory, which is what we're learning in the pilgrim's progress. Because Paul was being drawn like I'm teaching you guys for a long time, drawn. And then finally, In a particular event, he submitted to the crown rights of Christ, and his life was changed right then and there. He knew who the true high priest was. He knew who the true sovereign was. And see, Christians are playing game today because Christians don't even have a vision of the Lord of glory as the hierarchy of the one that has called them into this dignity of being saved. Am I making some sense? Lord, give everyone in this room a vision of the Lord of glory. Because until you have that, you won't have strength to say no to the wicked one. And you won't have strength to say no to these wicked systems that are constantly telling us to disobey God. When you are persuaded that the Lord Jesus is high and lifted up and seated on his throne and all dominions and powers and authorities are under his feet, when you are persuaded that he is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, then you'll be able to stand in his strength and say, God's will be done, not my will be done, not your will be done, not their will be done, but the will of God. Now you can see when you have a crazy person like that living in this world, multiply that by thousands or tens of thousands. When you got crazy people that actually believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, when you got crazy people who actually believe he governs the universe, you can see why governments would want to throw you into prison. Am I making some sense? It's extremely important for us to know what the Apostle Paul's love for the saints is. I'll get there. Point number one, three subpoints that I want to keep moving. We are sent by the sent one to be believed for salvation. Romans sixteen twenty five. I love how Paul's his theology is, is comprehensive. We're in Romans chapter one, verse five, but Romans sixteen twenty five and twenty six says this. His last book will be there somewhere around August or September of this year, if the Lord is pleased to allow our journey to follow its course. But in Romans 16, verse 25, listen to what it says. Now to him, that is a power to establish you according to my gospel. Paul speaking the gospel in the beginning, Paul speaking the gospel in the end, because Paul understands none of this gets done apart from the gospel. Listen to what he says. Now to him that is able to establish you, 1625, according to my gospel and the preaching of who? According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began a lot to unpack there. Verse six, but now is made what is now made manifest. What is made manifest? The mystery that was kept secret from the foundation of the world is made manifest in the preaching of the gospel. Paul and and we are moving ahead, but it's so germane because if you think about all that God revealed to Paul, Everything that God rebuilt. Now, you know, the Holy Spirit was with Paul from his baptism for it after Ananias laid hands on him. You know, the Lord Jesus walked with him all the way from Acts 9 to Acts 28. You do know that, right? The angel of the Lord was with him. You know that when they beat that man down and almost killed him, the spirit of the Lord took him to the third heavens. Do you know that? And Paul saw wonderful and glorious things about the reality of the unseen world. Do y'all know that? Do y'all know that this is what Paul is talking about? The mystery of the revelation of the invisible God at the multiple dimensions of reality, including heaven and earth, the dominions and authorities and principalities and powers in heavenly places, not just up there, but in spiritual dimensions. Stay with me for a moment. He saw that. He saw it and it played a role in informing his theology. Just don't be too long because I could be long here. But if you read your Bible, you would know that Paul frequently pierced into the transcendent level from time to time to let you know that Jesus is the architect of everything because he saw him himself. He knew he was on the throne. He was called up to the third heavens and saw things that could not be fully uttered, not because he couldn't declare them, but he knew men could not comprehend them. Am I making sense? But he would give us just enough to help us get along in our Bible until we got to the apocalypse, the unveiling. And in the apocalypse, which is filled with all kinds of keys and clues and codes about what God is up to, you and I are living in an age where we should be comprehending some of that. But I must tell you, Christians are more ignorant of heavenly realities today than they were 2,000 years ago. We live at such a low level of perception and comprehension. This is what we're going to learn as we continue in our study in our Pilgrims of Progress. Our next study is the counsel of worldly wise men over against the correction of the evangelist. So for some of you who are already following me, you know, worldly wise man just about had Pilgrim killed and worldly wise man represents all the systems of this world right now. And Christian being a new baby couldn't comprehend him and what's drawn in, was he not? And I am here to tell you that when Christians go to discussing what's taking place in our world right now, we discuss it accurately in terms of the principalities and powers, the strategies, the methodologies of the wicked one, most Christians can't keep up with us because they're not disciplined enough to think that rigidly, think that, that critically, think that analytically. We're not, we're not strong enough in our minds to be able to embrace these levels of angelic reality. And yet your Bible from Genesis to Revelation talks about that dominion as if it should be a common thing for us to know but your average Christian don't even believe the devil exists let alone a warfare in heavenly places that constitutes levels of angels at multiple hierarchical dimensions and strategies as Daniel taught you, as Zachariah taught you, as John taught you. Most people are not thinking in terms of how to put a grid of reality based upon the apocalypse on the world in which we're living right now. Most Christians, I I swear I'm not trying to be pejorative, but it breaks my heart, are not ready for the reality that goes on behind the labels of the institutions and the structures that govern this world system. They're not ready for it because we're operating on the low plane of things seen. Am I making some sense? We're operating on the low plane of things seen. Now, when we get to Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 24, I'm gonna tell you why that happened. There was a great reset that took place early in your Bible called the exchange of the true and the living God for the false gods of this world system. And once that great exchange took place, we lost access to comprehending spiritual things. I'm making some sense, am I making some sense? Let me keep going, because I really didn't mean to go down this trail, but Pilgrim is gonna help us in our journey if you wanna keep up. Now, somebody told me I have what is called a, um, a pastor's Zoom address. I feel pretty good, I'm walking in the 21st century. I have a pastor's Zoom address. I did not know that, but one of my secretary pastors, you got a Zoom address. I don't know how to get there, but if you want to join me, if you want to join me in our classes, you can call the office because we'll be on every Wednesday for the foreseeable future, unpacking the corollary between Pilgrim and the world we're in. So the Apostle Paul is telling us that the gospel is to be preached because it's to be believed. So point C, called by the beloved to the beloved. Here's his expression going back in Romans chapter one, verse six and seven. I love this. Verse seven. Notice what it said. No, verse six, among whom you also are the what? Called of Jesus Christ. I do want to reiterate that you're the called child of God. You're the call. So you can park it right there and take some notes. Are you ready? That word has two connotations. One of them is verbal in its intent. The other one is adjectival. It's an expression of who you are. The first one declares how it is that you became a Christian. And that is you were called by the gospel. So you heard me earlier saying my sheep do what? Hear my voice. He calls them by name. You and I have been called by name. When the gospel came, it came to us in a crowd, but it came to us personally. And God spoke to our soul. You guys remember that, don't you? If you don't, we got a problem, don't we? Because God calls you, and if He doesn't call you, you're not coming. But if he calls you and you find yourself coming, it's because you've experienced the power of the call. Now, that is a theological concept we will more fully unpack in the Pilgrim's Progress. But God is calling, right? Many are called and few are what? That's where you hear the distinguishing call that separates you from everybody else. And now all of a sudden, you know, God means business with you. Am I making some sense? Because, you know, you you, you too scared to do anything by yourself. So you want 10 people to be saved with you. Remember that? And God said, no, he moves them all out. He moves your mama out, moves your daddy out, moves your uncle out, moves your cousin out, moves your boo out. All your boos get moved out. They all get moved out because they're not being called. You are. And now you got to discover who it is that's calling you because he didn't just tow up your life. All your relationships all jacked up. Ask Pilgrim. Ask Pilgrim. Am I making some sense? Because listen, no flesh shall glory in God's sight. People are not going to be able to go to heaven and say, Lord, if we didn't help your boy, help your girl get to you, he wouldn't have got there. Sorry, no flesh shall glory in the sight of God. Every one of us are coming through the door by ourselves because the door is too narrow for anybody else. And the only one the Holy Ghost is opening the door to is you. It's important to know it. It's good when you have a spouse, a loved one, children that know the Lord. I, I can I can be a record with that. But that's no guarantee. All of them could hate you. That's no guarantee. It's it's, well, these are things we are unpacking because Pilgrim is letting us know that when you become a real Christian, it takes a long time for your kinfolk to realize it's God doing that and not you. It takes a long time. Right. Because they stuck on you. They're stuck on you. They don't like the fact that you've left home. They don't like the fact that you're hearing a voice they don't hear. They don't like the fact that you're seeing things they don't see. Am I making some sense? And so they call you crazy. Amen. But they call Jesus crazy in John chapter 7 the same way. And, and Festus and, and Felix said that Paul was crazy and he just returned very, oh, noble Felix, I'm not crazy at all. In fact, I wish you were just as crazy as me without these chains. See, we're talking about celebrating the summons because we're so glad that God called us. Now, listen to what he says over in verse six and verse seven. Those of you uh, among whom you are also the called. This is the first point. So you have heard the verbal call, but it uses the term the called of Jesus Christ, not called of Jesus, the called, definite article, then the noun, the called. That is a adjectival description of what you are. You are the called. Y'all got that? You are the called. If I could go deeper, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. It means that when he called you, you became something as a consequence of that call. You became the called. More deeply, it's you became named. Literally, it's a Hebraic expression of when God owns you, he also names you. So I'm called and I'm named. Am I making some sense? So if he says, Jesse, he just named me. When he said, Saul, Saul, he just named him. And every one of us has a name. And every one of us has a new name. If I take you to the apocalypse, because if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. You actually have the name that God gave you through your parents, but you also have the name that Christ gave you through the parenting of the heavenly Uh, Heavenly Father, am I making some sense? You have a name, child of God, and that name is written in the Lamb's book of life in glory so that when you knock on the door and Peter goes through the ledger, oh, I see your name there. You can come in. That name was put there before the foundation of the world because Christ was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And no one gets to heaven in the Old Testament or the new, but by the blood written work of the Lamb of God who took away our sin. Am I making sense, child of God? That's why he said my sheep. He said the Old Testament saints were his sheep. Then he said the New Testament saints were here. Other sheep have I that are not of the Jewish fold. Them must I bring in. And there won't be the Jew and the Gentile. This is what we're arguing today. There's only one community made up of Jews and Gentiles in the person of Jesus, who is the perfect Jew. Am I making some sense? We're all in that one fold. It ain't two folds. One fold, one shepherd, one gospel. See, we're all one family. One crazy, unprincipled, wild in between grace and glory, on, righteous and sinful at the same time, striving to try to get along with each other. And if we let the devil, he'll divide us and have us killing each other, yeah. even though we call ourselves children of the living God. I know I'm making some sense because if you look out in the world, the enemy has done that with a lot of Christians, draped them in flags and drugged them away from King Jesus and the banner of his glory so that they're operating on a wrong team. I'll be talking more about that in Romans one eighteen through 24. The great exchange affects you. It affects everyone. Every day we wake up, child of God, you got to ask the question, whose team am I on? Because today you got to act like you're on somebody's team. And if the enemy has gotten in your head through this predictive programming and have wrapped you up by propaganda, you can say with your lips you're a Christian, but you can be operating... Okay? As if you're under the authority of somebody else. Born identity will help you with that. These are all predictive programming systems. And it, I mean, it's really deep. And it's really serious. And it's really real. This is why your Bible has told you You must be constantly transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might daily know what is the will of him who has sent you. You are not going to be able to make it through this warfare if your mind is not sanctified by the word of God and by prayer so that you can stay on the course. Your identity is constantly under threat at the microbiological level. I'm talking to every Christian in the house. Every Christian in the house has to pray that you operate out of the spirit and not out of the flesh. You have to pray that your identity is not rooted in your biological makeup only because it is the center of warfare right now. Do you understand me? So you keep up, you'll get some of that, particularly in Romans 1, 18 through 24, because of the impact that occurs when we exchange the true and living God for a lie. Once you do that, you get transformed into the image of that lot. Look at the world today. Somebody lying. Yeah. <laughs> Am I making sense? Some, somebody lying. Yeah. Point number two, the joy of their salvation in Paul. The joy of their salvation in Paul. Paul says in verse, uh, verse uh, 8, these words. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Do you see that? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. What does he mean by that? First and foremost, I'll just say as a a basic moniker, and I've said this before, Thanksgiving is a revelation. People are not thankful until they know why they are thankful. This is what Paul teaches in Romans chapter one when we get into the most controversial material in all the world. Because when they knew not God, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they. Neither were they. Neither were they. Right. So a loss of thanksgiving is the evidence that you've been blinded to the goodness of God in your life. That's E. She lost the sight that she had everything when the snake came up to her and told her to exercise rebellion against God. Now, how do you listen to a fool when God has given you everything other than you have lost sight of what you should be thankful for every day? I know I'm meddling, but I have to. The goal of the enemy is to get you to despise God. That's what evangelist is gonna teach pilgrim about worldly wise men. The goal of the enemy is to get you to despise God, to get you to believe that God's a liar. He's not going to come through. His promises are not good. But don't we know better, children of God? This is why I drill it down into you ad infinitum. The God we serve cannot lie. He will not change and he never fails. The moment you are questioning that trifecta, you are on the brink of changing God. The moment you are on the brink of that, once you challenge whether or not God is a liar, whether or not God is fickle and changes, whether or not God is a failure, if you fall prey to any one of those three, and they're really three sides of the same coin when we understand the Hebrew language around lying, okay? Idolatry is lying. Once you and I succumb to lies, we're succumbing to idolatry. And whatever image it is that preoccupies your mind, that is what you become. So look at your world now and know that it's definitely not fixed on the perfections and beauties and splendors and efficacy of the lovely Lord Jesus. Because if it was, it would be being transformed into his image right now. And how privileged are you to be called by the Lord of glory to behold his face so that you might be changed from glory to glory even by the Spirit of God. How blessed are you, child of God? Am I making some sense? But as you are being changed, you're going to have to put up with the world not liking you changing. You're going to have to pay the price. This is why Paul is rejoicing. He's rejoicing for several things, but this is what he's rejoicing in. Can I tell you what he's rejoicing in? That God chose a rebel like him to be the means by which Daniel chapter two, verse 35 and 36 are fulfilled. Daniel had the vision. I don't want to go into it at length, but I told you where there's no vision, the people what I told you this, I told you. And if your teachers have no vision, they are blind men leading the blind. This is where you're going to go off into the ditch, which is why so many churches go off into the ditches because their leadership cannot see beyond their noses. That is beyond their lust for their fleshly desires. Daniel could see all the way down, not only to the coming of Christ, not only to the cross of Christ, but to the triumph of Christ that would destroy the last kingdom described in the Bible. And that is the Roman empire. That's the book we're in. That's the book we're in. Daniel saw all this, all this 700 years before it happened. And God had Daniel to write it down. Hey, Daniel, Tell your boys, if they listen to me, you got to go through at least four major resets. You got to deal with Babylon. You got to deal with Medo-Persia and Medo-Persia are are really two resets in itself. You got to deal with the Grecian kingdom and that crazy Alexander. Then you got to deal with the fool in the Roman Empire, which is a set of 10 monarchs from Julius all the way down to to, uh, uh, Domitian. Okay, you have to deal with those fools. And isn't God good to warn us before it happens? Is he good? Y'all bored? Can I keep talking to you? Because Jesus on his way out, Matthew 24, you got to listen to it carefully, told the people he loved in his generation. He wasn't talking to you and me. He was talking to his disciples. Because when a shepherd loves his people, he lets them know what's soon about to happen. Not what's going to happen just 2,000 years from now. And he told them, when I go to heaven, you must know what you're about to go through. The pilgrim's progress. You hearing me? The pilgrim's progress. And the enemy is going to throw everything at you. And because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that continues unto the end, the same shall be saved. Y'all listening to me? Because I'm telling you something you don't want to hear. This happens from generation to generation over and over again because God is saving the people from every generation until the last generation is summed up. And you and I are in the middle of a reset like unto the reset in the Roman Empire right now. Because the last kingdom that God allowed to be recorded in scripture is the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire would straddle the rest of the New Testament age. Up to the end of time, because that beast is different than all the other beasts. Didn't I tell you that? The other beasts were organic zoomorphisms that we can describe lions and leopards and bears. The fourth beast had none of those characteristics. Daniel said, I can't even explain what that thing is I saw. And that was because the seeds of a 21st century hyper-scientific age would be inherent in the, in the composite of that monstrosity, which is where you and I are today. And it would never be possible for us to deal with the stuff we're dealing with without that Roman empire being able to morph and develop and evolve into the thing that it is today so that ubiquitously all around the world, the whole world is experiencing the same thing at one time because of that power. You get that for free, but we'll be unpacking that over the weeks to come. And the children of God need to see it. God doesn't need to give us contemporary kingdoms when he can embed in earlier kingdoms, truths that we can see carried over. Truth is reality. It doesn't matter what mode it comes in or at what time it comes in. Am I making sense? These are eternal principles. So you and I need to know this. this is why Paul is rejoicing. Let me get back at it. I got about 25 minutes with you. He's rejoicing because God has taken him. And used him as one of his major soldiers to liberate men and women in the most maniacal system of his day, the Roman Empire. And he gets to use this expression that we're about to express now, see now, which is as as paradoxical as can get. Notice what he says to all, verse seven, that be in what? Beloved of God. How powerful is that? The most hideous monstrosity of the vilest kingdom exhibited in the word of God, a monstrous kingdom which constantly tries to take God off of his throne, monarch after monarch after monarch, emperor after emperor after emperor, emperor, tries to take him off of his throne, and God has an elect people running through that kingdom whom he loves. Paul is excited about it because he's an instrument in bringing it to pass. And you and I should be an instrument in doing the same thing. I'll talk about it at the, at the last point where we're trying to go, which it looks like we won't even get there. To all that be beloved in Rome, called saints. There it is. Not called to be. Scratch that out. Called saints. It's a beautiful thing when one day you're an ain't and then next thing you are called a saint. Did that make some sense? Right. The difference is one letter. It's the letter S. It's the letter saved. You take that letter off and you an eight. You put saved on it. Now you're a saint. It's really that simple. Saved by the grace of God in the person of Jesus, snatched out of hell and brought into the kingdom of God. We're called saints, not based upon what we do, but who we are. Now, who we are should It should inform how we behave, but we're not saints because we did something. We're saints because of what he did. Am I making some sense? I may not look like a saint, and a lot of days I don't feel like one, but God is not a liar. So may God help you to walk in your dignity and put on the full armor of God so you can actually war a good warfare because you are in one. Listen to verse 8 and 9 again. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the what? That your faith is spoken of throughout the world. Just one little caveat on that. The world is the world at that time the Roman Empire. Rome called itself the world. This is the arrogance of kingdoms that feel like it has an inherent right to run everything on the planet. Lord, give my people a few minutes with me. Come on now. The Roman Empire set the motto of the idea of birthing gods. So from one king to the next king or emperor to the next emperor, they were all deities. And what that asserted, what that assumed is, as long as you have God-like deities on the throne, you are the kingdom. You are the world. Now, everything that does not comport with you being the world, you now have to bring into subjugation under you. Am I making sense? This is where colonialism originated. Y'all keep it up? Y'all got to take notes because I don't have time to explain this. You need to understand that. And you and I were born into this colonial process. Jesus was born into it. And you want to learn how to handle this colonial process? See how Jesus did it. And then see how the apostles did it. They did not own this world system as their world. The you. sermon into the new year pretty hot, isn't it? Pretty hot, uh, pretty hot. I know. I, I know. The apostle Paul had the vision. And he understood that he was part of that stone cut out without, without hands. Daniel 2, 34 and 35. Remember what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar? when Nebuchadnezzar tried to make everybody worship the golden image that was so high. And Daniel said, hey, let me help you understand, brother, there's a stone coming that's going to crush you at the feet and the whole thing coming down. And the whole thing has been coming down since the days of him whom we learned on Christmas was the foundation stone of the new temple of God. So the temple of God is being built up and the kingdoms of this world are coming down. The temple of the living God is being built up stone upon stone. Living stones in the true Zion are being built up every day while the kingdoms of this world are coming down. Is that true? I told you when the baby goes up, the devil comes down. Did we learn that? When the son of God goes up, the devil comes down and he is coming down with great wrath because he knows he only has a few minutes before he's permanently consigned to hell. Am I helping y'all? You, you, you need the vision. You need the vision because the diabolics of the enemy are absolutely astounding in both the apocalypse and Daniel's prophecy. Remember, Daniel said, Lord, this vision is destroying me. This thing is tearing me up because he was seeing how frequently the beast was just devouring the saints. Daniel chapter eight, nine, 10 and 11. And he was crying in his soul like the angel. Lord, how long? How long is the destruction determined? Because he understood saints have to suffer in this world. Are y'all hearing me? See, you're not used to that diet in America. But ask my Palestinian brothers and sisters right now. Ask my African brothers and sisters right now in Nigeria still being killed in the middle of the streets and burned alive. Ask them. This is why I'm hoping, Lord, help me to help you bust the bubble of your delusion in 2024 and overcome the political propaganda that's keeping you from seeing the warfare for what it really is. For what it really is. And right now, all I'm saying is that the Apostle Paul is rejoicing because he recognizes that when Christ rose again, he made Paul a stone like he made Peter a stone, like he made you and I a stone. We're all lively stones in the building. Are we not? And our job is to help the edifice, help the building, see men and women come into the kingdom, get rooted and grounded in Jesus. Put your uniform on, put your panoply on, put your helmet on, pull your sword out and go to war with the devil in Jesus' name. The battle we're fighting. And I love him because he gives us all the artillery we need. He doesn't leave us in the middle of the battlefield butt naked because we couldn't handle it. And the panoply is really himself. I've taught you this. The whole armor of God are all the promises of God, which are in Jesus. The helmet is a promise. The shield of faith is a promise. The breastplate is a promise. The loins girded are a promise. The feet shouted are a promise. The shield is a promise. The sword is a promise. The Holy Ghost is the promise. Haven't I told y'all that? You got to know this. You got to know this. This is why Pilgrim is going to make it because that brother constantly is reminding himself of the promises. And I've been trying to teach you guys that for years. Identify the promises. Identify the promises. Identify the promises. Those are the codes of God to you in this world. Identify the promises. Recognize the promises. Those are the promises that are keys to get you out of prison when you get stupid and find yourself in the devil's jail. The only way you're going to get out are the promises. It's extremely important. And notice what he says. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole Roman Empire. Do you see it? That means the kingdom that came to them in power transformed them so that they actually became a reputation. Reputation. Right? Their faith was spoken of everywhere. That means they weren't like a bunch of us Christians today. Don't nobody know you saved in half the time? You don't. (laughs) Their faith is spoken. Can you imagine that unsaved folk talking about your faith because of your character, your decorum, your wisdom, your, your wit, your ability to be in the world, but not of it? Your ability to love people and not be arrogantly self-righteous. I've told you that. I, don't, I shouldn't have to go over it again. We're not called to be Pharisees here. Forget Pharisaism. Pharisaism is always religion by the power of the flesh. Pharisaism is always the arrogant assumption and delusion that you are better than other people. That leads to nothing but religious colonialism. That is Zionism today. Y'all hearing me? Right. So so in this room, there are people who are Pharisees, and this is why they can fall prey to hierarchical systems that would be willing to dominate other people. See, because they are in love with power and Christians are in love with God. And to be in love with God is to be confident in God's grace, not confident that God's going to give you power to rule over other people. Can I get a witness? But the devil is always working on power. His the, his thing is power. I want to be like the most high God. That is his axiom. That's his modus operandi. You want to know what a system in this world is? Look to see if the devil is behind it. And if the devil is behind it, you can know that his goal is power and dominion and rule and control and domination. He wants to change everything that possesses the Imago Day into his own image. And war is one of his major tools. This is why the whole thing in your Bible is a warfare from the first attack that happened to the woman in Genesis 3.1. Y'all know what I'm saying. I'm so glad I got some saints that I don't have to explain all this stuff to. I've been explaining this forever, have I not? And see, when you have a biblical worldview, you won't get lost between Genesis and Revelation. You know how to land anywhere in the book and understand the epic, understand the time, understand this correlation between the past, present and the future. Is that right? You ought to thank God for that because most Christians can't work their way out of Genesis. They can't work their way out of Genesis. They have no idea what the apocalypse is saying until they're sold some propaganda by some lying prophet that I talked to you about a couple of years, couple of weeks ago telling you how things should be. But God has made it plain and we should be aware of that. So let's drill on down, okay? My time is moving. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And I, I wouldn't know why Paul would be thankful. Because if Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church, wasn't full of the Holy Ghost and power, he would have never got the attention of Paul. Because when Paul, when Saul was Saul, he was going around killing Christians everywhere. Remember, that's what Zionism is. It's a sort of uh, a miniature colonial system under the Roman Empire system. Y'all got that? Like your country has exercised colonialism. All right, so we, we contemporary right now. Y'all keeping up with me? I don't have to b- try to get you to understand that we're dealing with parallelism between now and then. This is why our institutions also didn't want our kids to be raised up in the Bible. This is why they took the Bible out of the educational system. Do you understand? This is what they tried to do to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Take away their identity. Take away their diet. Take away who God had made them to be. And you do that long enough and you lose vision. You do it long enough and you lose vision. This is why so many of our children and grandchildren have no comprehension of reality. And it ought to break your heart, mom and daddy, because you played a role in it. Yeah. Now, you know, I'm telling the truth. truth. Yeah. And I need y'all to pray for the mama and daddies <laughs> in our community that is just saying, you know, that's enough. All right. Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to tell these kids the truth. They can be mad all they want to. I'm going to start help getting them to understand they need God. They need his grace. They need the gospel. They need to be under the word of God and let them be mad at you. Let them be mad at you. Let them be mad at you. And you love them. You love them. You love them. You love them because the handcuffs of grace only get released through the gospel. Am I making some sense? How, how sad we are as creatures to have the benefit of having children and then don't give those children back to God. How sad we are as creatures. To have children that God gave. You do understand you can't have a child unless God gives the decree. But those children are not yours. On loan from God, you got five minutes to tell them who their God is. Five minutes to tell them how to get there. Five minutes to let them know their consequences for dying without Jesus. And let the world continue talking like somehow what you and I are saying is pie in the sky. I will, we'll, we'll we'll see that through as Paul makes his argument through the rest of Romans. The joy of their salvation is seen in his continued prayers for them. Notice what he says in verse nine, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. You should learn what that means that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Do you see that? That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Right. So the, uh, the average Christian doesn't get that. That when God saved you, he saved you to pray. Right. Because he gave you access to him. Plus, I told you the two major offices that we operate out of is prophetic and prophetic and those are the two offices. Nothing gets done without the prophetic word going forth and the priestly efforts anointing that word so men can be delivered from their sins. And you know what I've learned, children of God? Can I tell you else what I've learned? This is why you got to respect these other countries that are trying to pray, because our country has taught us systematically not to pray. You'll notice you don't hear prayers at all in them folks in the White House. Our country has taught us Westernism has taught you not to pray. See, you're being taught by your senators, their elders in Congress, in the Senate, in the, in the White House. They're teaching you. All you do is argue and manipulate and lie and connive and control and dominate and then pass bills to do what you want to do. Ain't nobody calling on God over there. And we're not even we're, we're not even disturbed by them not calling on God. Now, every one of them pretended to be saved. Did y'all know that? Yeah, every one of them pretended to be. You can't matriculate your way to the White House without pretending to be a Christian. When you when you come to discover you just about to win your race, you go out and buy your big old Bible with a big old cross on it. And you got to go to church once a month uh, every now and then because, you know, the paparazzi got to take a picture. You go to church because the propaganda machine got to tell everybody you're a Christian. Hillary Clinton been a Christian all her life. Bill Clinton been a Christian all his life. Obama was a Christian for a while, but because the reset came, he jumped on out in his second election. And that's when he turned the White House into the Rainbow House. And he's been keeping it moving ever since. He don't care that you believe he's a Christian or not, because now after all the balloon tests, they know that the vast majority of people in America don't pray. Including church folk. Including our church including our church. I don't have praying Christians in this place. Oh, pastor, I pray. Okay, 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 don't argue with me. I, whatever. Okay, okay, whatever, whatever. whatever. But I'm just saying, notice what Paul says all the time. And, and listen, this is not one time that he says that. He says that repeatedly. He says it to the church at Thessalonica. He says it to the Philippians. He says it to Timothy. I am always praying for you. Can you imagine that? Here this man, the most prolific preacher of the gospel in the Roman Empire, still finds time to pray. Pastor, how do you do it? In the daytime, I preach. At nighttime, I pray. Well, you get 24 hours. You got 12 hours to preach and 12 hours to pray. Well, pastor, when do I eat and sleep? Whenever I don't care. Whenever you got to pray. Men must always pray and not grow wicked. That's what that term means. Not grow weary. It means grow wicked. I'm helping you because when you and I are weary, we're going to do wickedness. That makes sense. This is why we need to be strengthened with all might in the inner man, but that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. Angelo just talked about, Lord, put a seatbelt on so we don't knock you off the throne. Well, can I help you? You ain't knocking Jesus off the throne. I'm sorry. He weighed too high and lifted up. He owns all thrones. If you're going to use the analogy of the seat belt in your heart, ask him to put a seatbelt on your seat. Because it's your seat that will get knocked over, not Jesus. Am I making some sense? Lord, put a seatbelt on my seat so that you can remain the affection of my heart. So you can be my counselor and my God. So you can correct me when I act a fool. I want Christ to dwell in my heart by faith so that I see the world through him. I'm making sense. Am I making sense? Right. It's extremely important for God's my witness. And I love what Paul is doing. He's calling heaven to this record. Now, he's both a Hebrew and a Christian now. He knows you don't don't swear unless you mean what you're saying. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit, not in the flesh, with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That is the content of the gospel is Jesus. Paul had a high view of the Savior, didn't he? And he knew that the saints who were living this, well, you heard your elder said, your elder made it very plain that if the enemy is getting at him, he knows the enemy is getting at you. Isn't that right? That's why you can join my elder on Saturday nights in prayer. You can join me on Tuesday. You can join him on Saturday. Because my elders know this thing is not going to get done in this place any kind of way unless we're praying for you guys. If you want to, you can pray for us. But the point is, we understand you don't play with prayer. This is why we haven't made it down the road in our lives. All right, so the enemy really has worked to destroy your value of prayer because when you have a value of prayer, you actually are at the fundamental level of faith demonstrate that you believe God. Listen carefully to me. When a man or woman is praying, they are exhibiting the fundamentals of believing God. And you're doing it in a context where you don't get the applause and accolades. Girl, you pray wonderfully. You don't want that. Soon as you hear your sister saying, girl, I love the way you pray, just know behind her is a devil. I didn't say her, I'm saying behind her. Right, because the enemy will distract you in the sanctum of prayer by making you think that you're doing something because of the way you pray. Your holy hitherto's and therefore and prevents and shall not's and and affection of voice and all that. None of that matters. None of that matters. Simple, honest, Lord, help me. That's the real kind of prayer that works. All right, none of that. All that other, all of that other highfalutin stuff don't help it don't help. And God doesn't need a thousand words. He only need a couple. Lord, help me. Lord, help us. That's all he needs. And because I am so theologically acute and stout, he doesn't need that. He hears you praying before you open your mouth. And I must admit that if you can pray and you pray truly, it's because God has sown prayer into your spirit. That's what David said. Lord, I have found this prayer that you have caused me to pray. So David was the one that prayed. Did he not pray? You know why David was a man of prayer? Because David was a great sinner. That's right. He was a great sinner. David knew he was a sinner. Church folk today don't even know they're sinners. We've been demolishing this argument for uh, decades upon decades. There's some folks years ago used to get up and leave the church when we sung Saved by Grace. Only a sinner saved by grace, right? They, they would get up and leave. Do you know why? Because some fool told them after they were converted that they were no longer sinners. Some fool told them that. Nothing in your Christian experience would ever affirm that you're not a sinner anymore. Nothing in your Christian experience. While you were down at the altar receiving Jesus, you was thinking stupid. On your way back to the chair, you was thinking stupid. You were thinking stupid on your way back to the seat. Come on now. Raise your hand if I'm telling the truth. Be saved in the house today. You were thinking stupid on the way back to your seat. And once you heard the gospel that Christ saved you and you didn't save yourself, you was happy about it. Once you understood that all of your sins, past, present, and future were placed on Jesus, you were happy about it. Now you know the sin you engage in is paid for. You were happy about it. Now you just got to know how to walk in that paid for sinful lifestyle. Am I making some sense? Right. Right. It's important to know the what evoked David to pray the way David did was because David knew he wasn't what he was supposed to be. You won't pray passionately if you, if you think you're all that. Come on, Am I making some sense? Yeah. You might, though. You might get up there. Jesus already warned about these colonialist Pharisee prayers. You might be in the front of the church saying, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like the person sitting right next to me. Am I making some sense? See, you don't get that with David. David says, cleanse me, O Lord, right? Renew a right spirit in me, right? Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's what David would say. You got arrogant sinners today presuming upon God. God wants a relationship with you by which you are honest with him. Psalm 51, God desires honesty, truth in the inward part. Then he'll show you Jesus and remind you that it's paid for. And he expects you to be happy about it being paid for and get up and do it no more. Isn't that right? All right, child of God is paid for. Let's see if we can find a way to get loose from this bondage. Because I didn't save you to stay stuck in all that foolishness. This is what Paul is happy about. He's happy that the impact of the gospel has brought about a reputation of the people of God in the most notorious kingdom in the world. Got it? Most notorious Rome in that day was way worse than San Francisco and New York. And the only thing worse than San Francisco and New York is Tel Aviv. Israel. It's an abomination. But y'all don't know because y'all been lied to as Zionist Christians. Y'all don't know. But I'm here to tell you they celebrate perversion at the highest heights of twisted demonic Romans 118 through 28. And at the same time forbid the preaching of the gospel. These are the folks we're sending billions of dollars to because of ignorant Christians that have not been taught sound doctrine. If I was over there saying this, I'd be locked up in jail. Do you understand what I just stated? This is why you got to pray for my brothers and sisters who are ignorant of American theology that was built around a set of colonial systems 150 years ago using eschatological paradigms that are old Jewish ethnocentric systems. And the glaring absence of that theology is one person. His name is Jesus. Now, if you don't love Jesus, you don't even know the missing key. Am I making some sense, child of God? It's important for you to know. Well, if you keep up with us, you you can find the pastor's Zoom address. I don't know the address. I just heard that there is one. I'm going to show up there on Tuesday, on Wednesday, if I can find the address. (laughs) And then we'll have more conversations. On to point number two, the joy of their salvation, continued prayer. And then notice what it says over in verse 11. I love this. Uh, verse 10 extends to prayer, making request. If by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to do what? Come to you. Look at verse 11. For I long to see you. That's where I want to stop for a moment because I'm going to do one more thing and stop. I'll come back next week. We've got about 51 weeks to go, don't we? I want you to pick up on this next point. I want you to get this because this actually demonstrates the nature of the gospel that Paul says he's not ashamed to preach. And it has to do with how the gospel changes you first. Look at what Paul says here. For I long to what? See you. For I long to see you. Stop right there because that's one line. I long to see you. This is amazing because what we know about Paul's era, Brother Mac, is that they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have televisions. They didn't have cameras. No FaceTime. Unless you met people in person, you never saw their face. And if you long to see someone face to face, it's only going to happen when you get on your camel and ride. When you make your journey from where you are to where they are. And Paul's heart longed to see their face. Man, that's love for people, isn't it? stay with me. I want to make an application. We don't have to long for that today because God takes the technology of this world and uses it for the kingdom. And anytime we want to FaceTime each other, we can. If you think about someone you love, you call them. Let's do some FaceTime. I don't have to travel thousands of miles. I can talk to you right now. I can bless you right now. I'm getting into my final point there, but you don't have to long for it. And yet this longing, this yearning is at the bottom of our salvation in terms of one day, one day, one day we will see him face to face face to face. And when we see him face to face, we will be just like him because we will see him as he is. Isn't that John's word? Don't y'all know the word child of God? Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be just like him because we will see him face to face. That is the final transformational act that we are already in process of. Am I making some sense? It is profoundly theologically, massively, massively indicative of something grander than just your face and my face. It has to do with a permanent dwelling of intimacy and communion where there is no mediation anymore. I've shared that with you before. Have I shared that with you before? John 1.1 says in the beginning was the Word. That's the Son. That's the Logos. And the Word was with God. Hathios, meaning the Father. In the beginning, the Son was with the Father. Y'all keeping up with me? That's theology. Y'all know that, right? And the Word was God. The Son was also God, like the Father. Didn't we learn that? And they were face to face prosopon, pro, pro, meaning face-to-face. That means they were equal in dignity, equal in worth, equal in wealth, and loved each other equally because they were reflections of each other comprehensively. It's the metaphor of a man and a woman when they enter into uh, marital union. As you know, God put Adam into a deep sleep. That was the first operation God did it. He did it to the man because he had issues. The issue he had was that there was something in him that God had prophesied in chapter two that he brought about in chapter one that he brought about in chapter two. And that was the completion of the man in his counterpart of the woman. Y'all know that now, right? That is Christ and the church. Right. You and I were conceived in Christ and brought forth by him being put to death and the sword piercing his side and the payment of the blood and the water comes out. That was the dowry. That was the birth of the church. Y'all got that? That was the birth of the church. Holy Ghost comes down in chapter two. The church is born because of him who is the last Adam who had to die for our sins so that we could be brought into union with him. And daily, his bride is being brought into union with him all around the world through the gospel. Am I making some sense? And your job in mine is to behold his face. That is the close of the apocalypse, right? And they shall see his face. And they shall see his face. And there shall be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more anguish. Am I making sense? Listen, child of God, the one that died for you is waiting to see your face. Between now and then, your job and mine is to get to him. It's to get to him. And one way you're secure that you are on the pilgrim's path is to make sure that you are not negligent of God's word. Am I making sense? So that's what that's what evangelists don't tell pilgrim. Boy, you drop that book and it's all over. This is why we study because when we study sound, biblical, God exalting Christ, Christ exalting, biblical based exposition, we get to behold His face, like we're doing now. Is that true? We're beholding the face of Jesus, meaning we're beholding the reality of God in Christ. Meaning we're beholding the reality of God's word, are we not? His promises, they're all yes and amen in Christ. It's a glorious thing to be beholding his face right now. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? And do you know you're being transformed just ever so slightly by that exercise? So, you know, when God says, whenever you gather together in my name, I am present. It means he wants to have a conversation with you face to face soul to soul. Am I making some sense? Right. And when we're not engaged in that kind of face-to-face communion, then you and I are walking side by side, which is fine. That's the work we do with our master. He's yoked, we're yoked. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will rest you. Take my what? Right. And so you and I are yoked with Jesus. This is why I was sending the opening of the message. Don't go around acting like you got your own yoke and you're not yoked to Jesus. This is where you're going to mess up all the time. You're the little ox. He's the big ox. Don't get it twisted. You ain't the big ox. You're the little knucklehead ox. <laughs> Haven't you ever seen two oxen yoked together? Have you seen three? Have you seen four? Of course. No, they're there. But here we're just talking the analogy of scripture. Jesus is glad to be yoked together with you. Because he knows you're going to act a fool if he don't stay connected to you. He's strong enough to keep you from going off the path. Right? That's like I told you about my wife's car. When she bought that brand new car, I started driving it. And it kept on going its own way. Didn't I tell you about that? The car, because I was drifting. And the car said, "Now get on back in the middle of the road, brother. You drifted. And at that point, I realized there was an authority greater than me. Right? Well, that's how the Holy Ghost is in your life. His job is to move you back into the lane because you're drifting. Am I making some sense? Right. But, but you know, now we learned how to cut that thing off. Y'all know, you know how to cut the thing off on the car? Did you know how to cut it off? We cut it off. Now, guess what? We driving free. But we all over the line in the next lane and everything. Right. This is what you get when you want to be free of Jesus. You're going to be all over the lane. You're going to mess folks life up. You're going to run into something. You know, why wasn't the control mechanism on? Because you want to be free. Right. <laughs> that sister gets it. I want to be free. The problem is you're a sinner. So even when, you got, even when you got guidelines to keep you in the middle of them, you tax it. And if we weren't in Gotham City mode right now, you'd probably have a $1,000 of fines for that. I'm going to stop right here and I'll tell you, I'll tell you just a bit to close it out right and we'll come back and unpack a very, very important Magna Carta in terms of of Paul's decree in verse 16 and 17. We are living in the times in which our Lord spoke about in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. Because iniquity is abounding and iniquity is abounding everywhere. Because iniquity is a bounty. Do you guys see it? Do you see it up there? Because iniquity is a bounty. And iniquity is really a nefarious term referring to the wicked one being loosed. So I'll talk this out and then I'll let you get out of here. The wicked one being loosed. And and the wiles of the wicked one being exercised in ways that always shows up in the attributes and characteristics of the wicked one. The devil, his job is to steal, kill, and destroy all right. You're going to have to drill down in that and stop being parrots, because you are. You've quoted it a thousand times. You never even really looked it up to study it. Raise your hand. Tell the truth. Don't. You ain't never studied that verse. Am I making sense? You've heard it before. Right. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Right. Um, but you never really studied it before. Have, have you? Right. You studied that verse before? OK, good. You can explain it to us, at on Tuesday. Lisa's going to explain it because. Stilling is what the devil does because it's part of his anger management issues for wanting to be like God. Am I making some sense? He loves stilling. Right. And, and this was the first fundamental thing that God said in Torah. You shall not make any other gods. That's what he says. I am the Lord your God brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods beside me. And stilling, therefore, is the idea of exchanging the true and the living God for another God. The goal of the devil is to get you to trade gods. Y'all got that? When you take God's glory, you have stolen from him. That's the goal of the devil. See, I know a whole bunch of pastors want you to stop. I'm ready to leave. I ain't gonna let you go till I'm finished with these three points. I ain't gonna let you go. Because you can steal God's glory in your mind. You can steal God's glory with your raggedy mouth. You can steal God's glory. And remember what I told you, when we're, go to, when we're going to stealing, when we in, engage in stealing, it's because we're not operating out of fullness. Didn't I tell you that? Colossians 2.9. See, because when you're full, you don't need to steal. See, the devil's empty. So he's trying to steal everything that God made, including you and me. I'm telling you, am I telling you the truth? All right, so just understand, whenever you're in an environment with things are getting stolen, just look around, where the devil at? Because he behind that. And right now, God's law has been stolen from humanity by the devil setting aside the good book, which would be the foundation to all civil societies. See, once they took it out of the courtroom, took it out of the school system, took it out of the educational blocks, once those moral ethical axioms were removed, now law is arbitrary. Am I making some sense? Every man is a law to himself. So. You know what I discovered the other day? You know, I shouldn't say this because they're going to get me again uh, because I'm notorious on Facebook and all that stuff. They don't want me preaching. But I said, you know, we are in Gotham City. Anybody understand Gotham City? Now, that was a predictive programming. I'm trying to tell you now. It was letting you know we were coming here. See, I should stop. It's predictive programming. It started way back when we were kids. You get, them, you get them with cartoons. That's like Kool-Aid. Boy, I loved Kool-Aid when I was a little. Did you love Kool-Aid? How many of you guys love Kool-Aid when you're little? Half of the folks in the house? You, 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 you Gen Zers and all that, you guys are so cool. In the country, it was lemonade. And then when we was broke, it was sugar water. Stay with me. Stay. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. See, because y'all act like y'all don't know and you act like you weren't trapped and you act like you weren't propagandized and you act like you weren't predictably programmed, but you were. You were. We drunk the Kool-Aid. All that sugar killing us, messing up our brain cells, turning us into all kind of weird ADHD folks that can't keep control of our mind and we're addicted to all this and all. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Am I telling the truth? They know how to distract you from, again, rigorous thinking, deep, critical, analytical thinking. And the children that actually had the best gift at that, they called them crazy. ADHD, right? Right. Attention deficit disorder, autism, those brothers and sisters think way more acutely than many of us because they know how to focus and they know how to block other stuff out. And we think they crazy because they ain't got time for us. Y'all crazy people do what you want to. I'm working on a mathematics equation at seven years old so I can grow up and run the world like Elon Musk. Y'all didn't get that. Y'all did not get that. So we kept doping our kids, trying to make them normal, which is nothing but making them zombies, which was another predictive programming that we are in right now because we didn't walk in the authority of God's word. I remember when it happened. And I'm already in the great exchange mode. I remember when it happened for me in my conversion in the 80s. I remember when there was a battle around believing the Bible versus believing Dr. Spock and all those other fools. I remember those battles. And I remember how my family was challenged with whether we're gonna do it biblically or whether we're gonna open our, open our life up to the secular system because they were more emotionally sensitive. And here we are today. Right, what will help you understand where you are is to actually know where you came from. What were the substratum policies and agendas that are dominating and operating your life now? And actually, where will this take us? Extrapolate out the operational systems that are imposed upon us now What will this look like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? When we first started Grace, we talked at that time about where we are now. This is why my leadership is not at all lost as to what's happening to our world. We knew with all of the people coming in and out of Grace all these years, we've had a lot of people come and go. 80% of them were utterly blinded to what's going on. Are you guys hearing me? Right. But that's your Bible. Many are called, few are chosen. And we are in a cycle of time now where it is critical. We are about to enter into another mass delusion. And they've already told us this. Now, you're not going to be able to do anything about it if you didn't do anything about the last one. I'm helping you now. If, 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 If a thief comes to your house and breaks into your garage, and steals your vacuum cleaner. Y'all know where I'm going. And then come knock on the front door and sell you your own vacuum cleaner. And you buy it. And you buy it. Oh, man, that's cute. You're operating out of predictive programming. Impulse is driving you to buy it because it's cute in your eyes because he sold it to you. You didn't even know. You didn't even know it was yours. That's what happened to Eve. The world was hers. The devil came with, with a vacuum cleaner and said, girl, if you eat this tree, you in. And that's the goal of the enemy, to get us to bite at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But this tree is a deep portal into real dark regions of spiritual warfare and assault against the true and the living God. And God has told us, you don't need to eat that tree. All you need to eat is the tree of life. And that tree of life is Christ. Christ is the tree of life. And if you eat of the tree of life, which is Christ, he will explain the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to you so that you can see the evil before it comes. Am I making some sense? Right. It's extremely important that that you you understand where we are in our present time. So the devil comes to steal. He comes to kill. And you guys got to actually understand death in multiple levels. Now, physical death is the obvious optic. Wars and rumors of wars all over the world. When I look across you guys, I know some of you guys, men, we talked about this on Friday, and I'm so very thankful that a good number of you come from other countries. And you come from other countries where war is a real thing. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. War is a real thing. It's not a small thing. In America, our people are dumb. And I love this because when folks come from different parts of the world, Africa, Asia, China, the Middle East, definitely. And and I see you. Please believe me. I see you. And I know you understand more acutely deception than my folks here in America. They know it. They, They know traps. They know the lies of propaganda from their governments. They know it. They know better discerning Christians who are much more solid at navigating wicked policies in their government. Because when you're a Christian in a government that is overtly seeking to kill you, you have to be strategically wise. You and I are in a system where our government is covertly seeking to kill you. And you're not being strategically wise because covert attacks require your complicity. Covert attacks require your complicity. Are y'all hearing me? Pastor, hurry up and stop. I promise you I will. Covert attacks require you thinking you already know. And that because they frame it in a certain way, you fall prey to it because that's a covert attack. It's called propaganda. Their job is to close your eyes to what is really salient and point you in a direction where you will be rewarded if you agree with them. Am I making some sense? This is what happened to Judas Iscariot. The master put him on the pilgrim's progress to glory. And as he's going, the devil is whispering in his ear. You see that Jesus is not headed to power, Judas. Now you want your people to be powerful, don't you, Judas? You want your people to be the head and not the tail, don't you, Judas? But you see, Jesus just told you five times he's going to the cross. Now, Judas, his plan is not lining up with your plan, Judas. Judas, what you going to do? You know, Judas struggled for a while. And then Judas capitulated to the plan of the devil. Steal, kill. So Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver because he wanted to be part of the power brokering team of the pseudo-Zionist whose God was Caesar. Are y'all listening to me? Jesus came to bring in the real kingdom and Judas succumbed to the false kingdom because Ananias and Caiaphas promised him that he would be part of the material kingdom of the Zionist system. I know that hurts. It's the reality. Jesus goes that way. Judas goes that way. Every day, people are choosing power over the Prince of Peace. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That means some of y'all among us right now listening to me, you are in structures that are structure systems entities with philosophies behind them, ideologies, constructs. We'll be going deep into that this year. I promise you, we'll help you understand that they know what they're doing, okay? They know what they're doing by turning you into a child of the devil, even if you profess to be a child of God. Steal, kill, destroy. The goal of the devil is to destroy the kingdom of God. Am I making some sense? Utterly destroyed if you could. Now, prophecy says it's going to be a real mess. So you can believe what you want to, but prophecy says it's going to be a real mess. Wars are determined to the end. That's what prophecy says. What does that mean for the Christian? The Christian has to put on the whole armor of God because the Christian's job is to stand in the evil day And to be able to snatch people out of the grip of him who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Did y'all get that? Prophetically and priestly. The devil don't want you preaching and the devil don't want you praying. So if you're not preaching and you're not praying, you're on the devil's team.